Morning, everybody. Welcome. We're so thankful uh, to be gathered together. Uh, so, uh, Pastor Gary will be back with us next week. We're going to continue in Acts 27. And for those of you who um, maybe are here just, just today or spent a couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a story. So if it feels like, man, man we're picking this up right in the middle of something, that's because we are. We are. We are uh, like almost mid-sentence from last week, and uh, the storm is raging. Uh, we could look real quickly at this, uh, this picture, reminder that Paul is on this amazing journey on this ship. He is cruising down in the uh, Mediterranean Sea there. They've, against his judgment and against his advice, they set out into uh, the waters. And when they set out, the winds were calm and south. And almost immediately, a northeaster came, and they've been blown around in the sea for two weeks as we pick it up today. Uh, you're going to find next week, we don't even find today, but next week we find that they end up in Malta, down here on the, the lower left. Uh, and so they're not quite there, but they're just about there. And we'll see that uh, as we go forward. So all that to say, let's, let's go to Acts 27. We're going to start in verse 27, and we'll read down through verse 36 together. Here we go. Excuse me, verse 38 together. When the 14th night had come, we, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and, about, and found 20 fathoms. And you can see if you've got notes there, a fathom's about 6 feet, so that's about 120 feet of water. A little further on, they took a sounding again and they found 15 fathoms. They were down to 90 feet depth. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were, in all, 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Father, we uh, come to you one more time and say to you, would you do your work in us through your word? Our own inclinations and the desire of even the evil one would be to stand as a, an impediment, a hurdle against the work that you want to accomplish. That's what your word says. There are gates before us. But you are building your church wide and deep 
And so the promise we cling to this morning is that you will build your church and the hurdles and gates that the evil one would put before us cannot contain what you are doing. You are all-powerful. You are sovereign over. You are the worker of good. You are our hope. You are our life. And we look to you for help. Teach us your word today. I pray for my own heart that the things that I would normally think, that my normal, uh, typical thought processes would be disrupted by the word today, and that you would help me see blind spots and footholds in my life, that you would help me see habits that I'm connected to or even committed to that need to go. You would open my eyes in the midst of this, help me be self-aware by the Holy Spirit's work. Lord, save our souls. We know we look to you to save our souls in Christ Jesus, and that is good and right. And believing you every day throughout our lives, Lord, is a, a sacred effort. We trust Philippians 1 6, you'll do the work perfectly. And we hold to Philippians 2 12, we want to work out our salvation in the fear of God every day. Help us with these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we come upon a crazy storm in this passage today. And I just want to say a couple things there. We're not all in storms as we live our life. And most of us have experienced some kind of a storm, some kind of a problem, some kind of a a big deal that we've got to get through or get over, right? But some of you may be here today and you say, well, I really not, don't relate to that. So I just want to encourage you that, that the, uh, uh, the people in the storms are not the only ones being addressed today by this text. It's not as if we can't learn from Paul's faithfulness today. In fact, I would just say this, uh, that the power of Jesus Christ is put on display in your life and my life by authentic faith in him. And it starts and is most... Uh, common, and quite frankly, the, the, the normal way that God puts his glory on display in this age is through the everyday, mundane, uh, but excellent, repeated and life-changing trust that all of us have in God and through Jesus Christ. Now, I say all of us. I, I'm looking out here. I don't assume that we all have faith in Christ here, but I assume that you understand what faith in Christ is, okay? So there's an invitation here if you don't yet have faith in Jesus Christ, to come and and see. But the point is that it's the everyday faithfulness of the saints throughout history for 2,000 years. Christians who take his word seriously. We breathe in messages from God in our individual daily life. We're in the word. We're thinking it through. We love it. We're, We're taking account to see where our hearts is compared to where God is calling us to be. We're letting go of old and sin and broken and we're adopting and and holding to a new way of living and thinking that is completely about the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we breathe out, cries for help. We ask him to move in our hearts. We pray. We're saying, Lord, we can't do this. We need you. Come intervene. And we pray for people, for friends, for enemies, for children. For spouses, God, help us. We show up. We serve. 
We love this. The Surf Sheboygan project is a great example of that. And I trust that that was a corporate activity for what all of us are doing in our neighborhoods all the time. As we look to serve the needs of the people around us. And look for open doors and pray that God would open doors that we could share the gospel. We show up and we serve and we love and we give. Listen, if I do not seek God wholeheartedly in the everyday and mundane, I will not trust him in the storm. The storm will come and it will be foreign for me to hold to him with authenticity and reality in that moment if it's not happening every day. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know if I can affix a number to it, but in my own heart, I'm saying 90% of what God does from the cross to today is everyday, mundane faithfulness, you showing up, changed into the image, changed desires, changed attitudes, changed decisions because of who Jesus is in your life and reaching out to the people around you. That's how God works. Now, there are other examples in the scriptures. Um, God puts uh, our, his glory on display through the faithfulness of his saints sometimes in big moments where he lifts us up. Sometimes we, uh, when blessing comes, is a great challenge to our faith. But an example of that would be uh, a, a quarterback after a Super Bowl uh, gives glory to God and maybe has an opportunity to explain his, his, his faith in Jesus Christ at that point. And so here they are, they're raised to a level, put on a stage, and they are faithful. But listen, that's very rare. But it is really crucial that your neighbor and my neighbor does not experience or see me when good days come, when blessing comes, do this little mission drift do this little drift while I started to hold on to the promises of God. He was transforming me and changing me. And now, these years later, there's these uh, kind of uh, routines I'm, I'm involved with. And I'm, I'm really more connected and dependent and leaning upon money and health and hope and the American dream than I am the, the realities of my need and my soul's need of Jesus Christ. That's not what this text is about, so I apologize. But I just wanted to give you an example. we got to be careful when we start to flourish in our world. So there's the everyday mundane, and there's the when blessing comes, and then there's the passage today. When trials come your way and my way, how are we going to respond? There is a, as we've seen, there is this uh, storm that has come. This is the topic of this passage. None of us chooses storms. We don't want to be in the storm. We say all we want, and it's true that God is there, and he's delivering us, and he's helping. If you could choose today or I could choose today, storm or no storm, most of us will choose no storm. But God's authenticity and power is put on display in unmistakable ways when you and I choose him and hold to him and treasure him and value him in the midst of the storms. The watching world sometimes has no other means to see Jesus except Christians in the storm. And so we believe him and we trust him. And the storms of life, they involve our emotions. You're going to see in this passage the fear that will come. Emotions, it involves decisions. This passage is very, very practical. If you just look at these 9, 10 verses, you're going to see what does Paul do when he's convinced to hold to the promises that God has given to him? What do we actually do with that? 
How do we respond? What are words that we say in situations like that? It's a very practical moment. The storms of life involve the emotions and the decisions and the attitudes. You're going to see his attitude towards friend and foe come forth in this. What are you thinking? What are the, the internal secret opinions you hold to that come out with terse comments? And mission. Why is this happening to me? I'm on mission for God. But you're going to see that the storms involve the mission. And Paul is committed to the mission and therefore has to go through the storm. So storms, guys, are a vehicle of God which reveal authentic faith. And that's it. That's the introduction. I want you to know God brings storms. He brings storms so that he can show his glory to a watching world. And he's good. So that the watching world around us, if they won't read their scriptures and they've said no to God, they can know whom you have believed. And they can become persuaded that he is able to keep that which we've committed to him against that day. So let's turn to the text, Acts 27, verse 27. And the first point is this, as we hold out the hope of God's word when the storms of life rage on, number one, we should expect that some will turn to alternative rescue plans. Now, some of you will laugh at that because we live in a world that the whole world has turned to an alternative rescue plan. I could stop right now, put a microphone on the floor and say, hey, listen, come up one by one and talk to me about the alternative rescue plans that you see people adopting in their world. And we would hear people talking about working and, and achieving and succeeding and dollars and drugs and, and looking for themselves out there someplace and years of wandering. And we could go time after time after. You, you guys know that the alternative plans are all over the place. But let's take a look at verse 27. When the 14th night had come, they're at sea for two weeks. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. Let's stop right there. People really come up with the alternative rescue plans when they feel that they've waited long enough. I tried God. Put a little effort out there. Prayed a prayer. Prayed some prayers. Someone told me he would answer. He has an answer. So God's shelf life has run out in my, in my world, and I'm done waiting for him. And maybe you've got a neighbor, and those are the kind of words they would say. Tried that, been there, done that, waited, not real. Prayers seem unanswered. The world mocks Christians who are still waiting for him to act, and this is the theme of Scripture. If you read the Psalms, you will read David constantly crying out, how long will you let enemies chastise me and mock you and make themselves feel like there is no God and put me in a position where they, uh, they, they uh, speak negatively about me because I hold to faith. And that's the world you're in. That's the world Paul was in. After two weeks, these sailors had had enough. If God were real, if he were able, he would have come and made my situation better. One of the great misunderstandings is that God is trying to make an end to all your troubles. You know he's not. He's good. And he loves you. But if he were up in heaven and he had let us know that the big project for him is trying to make our life on earth as good and happy and carefree as it could be, we could all raise our hand and say, 
you are not hitting the goal, dude. If that's the goal, you've got to do better. And so when the world around us thinks that that's the goal, they get a misunderstanding of who God is. That's not what it's about at all. That time of freedom from trouble and, and uh, uh, perfect days and no problems and flourishing and perfections and nothing messing with us, that's, those days are to come. That's what heaven is about. The Bible says in Job that man was born for trouble. The Bible says uh, very clearly Jesus said to them, if you follow after me, they will hate you. They'll hate you. So that's what you should expect. That's what I should expect. Born for trouble, and, and people who hold to Jesus hated. And we find this, that even in the midst of the storms and the unanswered questions and the ongoing and the uncertain time frames and the don't know when this is going to end, that having Jesus in the storm is better than life. He holds us there. Do you know that the mission that God has in this world, he's doing it and he's done it? Namely, Colossians 1.20. He is reconciling all things to to himself through Christ and making peace, Christ's peace, with all things on earth and in heaven. That's his mission. Not to make your life a little nicer or mine. Now listen, he answers prayer and he's good. I'm not not saying he's not going to... impact and improve your circumstances. But I'm saying the ultimate way he does that is by giving you his peace, the peace of Christ, in your heart now. And I'm saying that that often means lots of storms with uncertain shelf lives and ending dates. Man, the tendency of my heart is to want heavenly peace now. And can I tell you, that's the tendency of these sailors too. They have one goal, extend their days in this world. Keep living because they can't see beyond this world. Their goal is to save their lives. And they live in a world where no one has ever saved their life. That's the human condition. I see some medical folks out there. But look, there's only so much you can do. I mean, you want to help and you want to bring comfort and peace and you want to heal. And thank God for our medical folks who have done that and done that so well. But the goal of mankind is to extend days in this world and the end of all man is to die. It is appointed unto mankind, to man, once to die. Nobody continually extends their goals or extends their days. But they feel that they can wait for God no longer, and so they want to take matters into their own hand. But look at verses 28 through 30. Not only do they come up with an alternative rescue plan when they don't want to wait anymore, they come up with an alternative uh, rescue plan when they think they can, they've got it from here. Have you ever done that? You get close to something? Nikki, when she was a kid, she prayed. She was under a table. Her little you know, like one-year-old uh, brother was, was around, and, and she dropped a piece of hard candy, and she was worried the child would find it and put it in his mouth and choke. So she said these words. Lord, help me find this candy so that I can, you know, pick it up and, and Adam won't choke from it. She opened her eyes. There it was on the ground. And she said, never mind, God. I got it myself. <laughs> That's the world we live in. Not to paint Nikki in a negative light. She has since grown immensely in her prayer life. <laughs> 
I feel I can turn to my own abilities. I'm going to turn to my own abilities. I'm going to fix the problem. I'm going to do it my way. And there's a moment where we ought to turn to our own abilities. But listen, it is not in this moment. Paul has said very specifically, here's what's got to happen. Look at verse 24. It's before the passage from today. He had said this, don't be afraid. Uh, uh, the, The angel said to him, you will, you must stand before Caesar in Rome. So I'm going to get you to Rome. God has granted everyone on board will be saved. Look at verse 25. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And, and by the way, if you're going to put one thing on your, your, the wall of your office or your computer or, or you're going to applique it on a pillow, it's verse 25 that, that controls and gives insight to the whole passage below. Take heart, people. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. And then Paul says this, but we must run aground on some island. And so as the water gets shallower and shallower, the, these sailors start thinking, man, I don't know about this Paul, and I certainly don't want to wait on this, this God of his. And, and I know what it's like to go from 120 feet to 90 feet. This is the first time we feel like we're actually approaching someplace where we could save our lives. We could extend our lives in this world. So, uh, Look what they hatch up here, verse 29. Fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the storm and prayed for day to come. Paul's testimony had instilled some kind of prayer in their lives, although I will say uh, there's no mention that this prayer was to the living God. It could have been to their gods. The point is they wanted day to come. The four anchors is a, is a statement that said, hey, look, the, the, we put anchors in different places to hold us in place so that uh, uh, obviously we don't get continually drawn toward the, the rocks or the shallower the places. So they put down the four anchors to give them a sense of stability in the water. In verse 30, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they lowered the ship's boat. Okay, you guys have all seen that. Big boat has a little boat so we can get it as shallow as possible and then go into the Sure, and so they were taking the little boat, and these sailors were like, man, forget Paul. Forget everybody else. Forget this plan. Forget trusting God. We are sailors, and we can get through this without anybody's help. Let's take the little boat and hit the road. That was their plan. So they were messing around at midnight by the bow. That's my paraphrase. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers... Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, two things come to bear from that statement. Number one, Paul is reviewing again the precise revelation that he has received from God. And number two, Paul is leaning on relationships made in the midst of the storm. You remember good old Julius? He's named in chapter 27, verse 1 or 2 back there. Um, uh, and, and so he's the, he's the guy who has charge over Paul. And he, it, Paul had said to him, hey, Julius, uh, I perceive that if we go out in this weather, we will die. Let's not do that. And Julius said, forget you. I'm listening to the sailors. So he has given his in opinion to Julius in the past, and Julius has said no. He gives his opinion to Julius again here, and Julius is beginning to listen. And that's what's going to happen in the midst of your storms. God is going to put people in your world that are listening to you. Think about Daniel. And here he had a storm, but God put an influential person in his life who was listening to him. Watch for the people that God brings into your life 
in the midst of the storms. Look for relationships. Trust yourself to them. Make friendship. Understand that even unbelievers can be used of God to accomplish his purposes in the midst of the storm. Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So here's what he says. You remember my vision? It involves us running aground. This verse is so funny to me. I love it so much. It, it involves, we got we to have someone driving the ship, and none of us knows how to drive the ship. If those guys leave, we're in trouble because we can't even, you know, get the ship to go ashore. And so Julius sends some soldiers down there, and they cut the, the cord of the boat, and they send it out, and they get rid of it altogether. I'm not sure that's what Paul had in mind, but when you tell soldiers to do something, they're going to do what they do, right? I, I think maybe he just wanted them to stop but I think the soldiers thought, if this boat stays here, these guys are going to escape at some point in the, in the wee hours of the morning. So let's just get rid of this boat altogether. And that's what they did. So there they are with no lifeboat left. Well, they tried to turn to their own abilities, didn't they? Sailors are going to sail. They're going to do what they do. And they're going to try to get out of problems with their own resources. How small am I when the biggest goal of my world is to just extend my days in this world? a process that I know will come to an end very soon. That's not to say we shouldn't commit ourselves to it. That is to say, if that's my only goal, I'm a very small-minded person. Because God is the God of eternity. And eternity isn't just eternity of days, which is beautiful. It starts now. And God calls us into this relationship with him so, Lord, so that our goal is not merely getting out of the trouble. Our goal is to make much of God in the midst of it. Now, let me just stop right here because we got an, one of those things, an elephant in the room. Uh, this, this, and that's this. Paul has a specific promise about what's going to happen to him in two weeks and it's for his good and he knows it for sure and an angel showed up. Anybody in that category? No. Not one of us has a specific promise about being rescued from trouble for sure in two weeks, uh, immediate danger gone, uh, health restored, or at least somehow God's going to get me to Rome to testify. None of us has that. So how do we even approach this? Do we take promises made, meant for Paul and just apply them to ourselves and hold on to them as if God is somehow you know, going to come through for me in the exact same way he came through for Paul? No. I don't necessarily want to get to Rome in the next couple weeks. And that wouldn't work anyway. So what do we do? You and I have got to have the ability to take the promises of God, the general promises of God, and lean on them fully now. So while you do not have specific promises about your personal storms, you do, uh, you do have promises from God. And so while others are turning to alternative plans and uh, we hold unswervingly to what we do know about God. Let me give you just three examples. There are over 7,500 promises in the Bible for you to hold on to in life's storms. And not only promises, but things that teach your heart and things that train you. Let me just throw out three. In the midst of the storm, hold to this, all authority belongs to God. Paraphrase, or said again, the storm ain't sovereign over you. The storm won't have the final word. 
even if your life is lost in the storm, God is sovereign over the storm. All authority belongs to God. And he has called you to this mission of making disciples. And we've already read Colossians 1.20. God is in the process of and has accomplished this beautiful, powerful thing where he is bringing all things in heaven and on earth under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so wherever we see people trying to save themselves, wherever we see people turning to their their own instincts and abilities, we should recognize it and guard against it. And by the way, wherever my heart turns to save myself, do you do that? After you get a little closer to the finish line of a trial, when you have waited long enough, am I the only one that says, okay, I got it from here. I know what to do next. I'll do what comes next naturally to my sensibilities next. It's a dangerous place. Guard against it. Guard against it. All authority belongs to the Lord. Hold to him. Guard against the drift in my heart. This is what I'm imploring you and me to do. Guard against the drift of your heart to save yourself, dear ones, because you can't do it. All authority belongs to Jesus Christ. Here's a second promise. I will be with you to the end of the age. God is with you. If your storm is raging, listen, I don't know if this storm has come to take your life. It may have. I don't know if this storm has come to end the relationship. Maybe. I don't know if this storm leaves you penniless. Could be. But this I know, God is with you in the storm. You are not exposed. You are not alone. You have not been forgotten. I know, according to Romans 8.1, if you are a believer, you are not being further condemned by God. You haven't done something wrong that now God is rubbing your nose in it. He's, he's not punishing you more arbitrarily. You haven't, that's just not the way God works. He is good and gracious. The storm is coming to put the glory of God on display for the people in your boat. You're not being condemned in the storm and he's with you. Because Jesus is with you, you can turn to him. You can rely upon him. You can speak out loud to him. You can trust him. You can can count on him. So God's watching over you and he's got his hand upon you and his eye upon the timer, as Gary likes to say. Third concept, third promise to hold to in the midst of your storms. Uh, Jesus said this, I am going to prepare a place for you. We have a lot of loss represented in our church family. Crazy, difficult situations. If the storm takes your life, In Jesus Christ, it ain't over. That's what we mean when we say death, 1 Corinthians 15. Where is your sting? Jesus is risen from the dead. Those who die in Christ will be raised and will live with him forever and ever. 
And so if you're in the storm and, and the worst thing that, that can happen, and often it is the worst thing that can happen is, is death, can I just say that makes Jesus all the sweeter. Hold on to him. And yes, our heart breaks when somebody is rejecting Jesus. And that's what these sailors are doing. They're saying, look, we want to save our own skin and live another day, but we don't want Paul's ways. We want to go our own way. We want to take the dinghy, the, the getaway ship and boat, and get to shore and move on to some other boat and keep living how we want to live. Hold to these promises, friends. These are just three examples of the over 7,500 promises in the Bible that exist to help you and to remind you that God is sufficient in the midst of your storm and to make him real because the spirit living in you brings them to mind and, and, and then we, we, just, we eat them and we think about them and they are massaged down deep in our souls so that we can live them out. And let me say one more thing before we move on. I am not saying give in to the storm and give up. Paul had a promise that he would be delivered from the storm. God still delivers people from storms. He still helps you overcome. He still heals. He still sees you. He still has good intentions for you. He still can, can knit bodies back together. He can knit souls back together. He can knit relationships back together. We will wrestle together then with John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do this. And so we do give ourselves over to prayer and ask God to intervene and help us. We do. So you don't have a personal promise about the current outcome of your specific situation, but you do have general promises about what life is really all about. And so uh, I hope that that gives even beautiful, more clarity to uh, Acts 27, 25. So take heart, people, because I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And you have the promises, 7,500 promises in the scriptures uh, so that we could say to one another, take heart, friends. Storm rages on, but I have confidence in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. The arch of this narrative is clear. When others turn to alternative plans, do not go with them. Do not fear, but wait on the Lord in faith. Number two, as we hold out the hope of God's word when the storms rage on, we should encourage everyone that a full rescue is on the way. Full rescue is on the way. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Now, there is so much humor in this passage, and I hope you sensed it when Paul goes to the centurion and says, Hey, hey, those guys are getting away. We need them. And he sends the soldiers down and they cut the boat. That's funny. That's funny. This to me is also funny. I've been at uh, camp. I was at a speaker at Lake Longren Bible Camp. We have our Lake Longren uh, guys with us today. They all serve up there, Lydia and Jason and others, and they brought their friends from camp this weekend. And so half the uh, SST, who else? Anyone else? Oh, I thought I missed somebody. Okay. Half the SSTers are here and, and summer camp folks from Lake Lundgren. I was at camp a few years ago and um, it was uh, like Friday picnic day or something like that. And it was pouring down rain. And we decided at one point, well, we're going to have this outside. And so we had it outside and it poured down rain. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a picnic and pouring down 
rain. But let me just tell you something. The Wonder Buns in the plastic bags that are open and exposed to the rain, the rain goes in the plastic bags and the Wonder Buns become wonderful like snowball-esque. I mean, they, they become these soggy, spongy material. And it's through no fault of anyone, but I'm just telling you, for Paul to stand in the middle of a rainstorm and say, hey, everybody, let's get the bread out. That's, that's what we'll do next. Is a, is a questionable decision, on, if you ask me. But they, for two weeks, have had no food. They have not taken food in. Several years ago, I was running the Marine Corps Marathon. And uh, I uh, went out too fast, and it's a long story, but I can just tell you from miles 20 through 26, I was the most delirious I have ever been in my entire life. I didn't know why I was running. I, I questioned all of life. I was by myself. I was, I was thinking, what am I doing here? And when I got to the end of the race, I was disconnected from Nikki and my welcome party, and I was alone in a 40,000 40, people finished the race that day, and I sat on a curb in Washington, D.C., and cried like a baby, all by myself. I had no nutrition, and I was not in my right mind. And Paul is saying, guys, first things first, it's time to prepare for the future. Do you do that in the middle of a storm? This ain't over. You're going to need some strength, so let's keep your strength up. Let's eat some bread. By the way, do you know we have a, a ministry in this church dedicated to feeding people who are in difficult positions? The first ministry is you. If you find that a friend of yours is going through a difficult situation, would you bring them, call them up? Bring them some food. If you want suggestions, I've got like this, this uh, you know, if it's the first tonsillectomy, you get a nut roll. And if it's the second, you know, you know if it's an appendectomy, you get popsicles. You know, you, this list, if you don't know what to bring them, we'll help you with this list. But friends bring food to friends. That's what we want you to do. And life groups do the same thing. There's this beautiful connection of people. And so somebody has an issue in their life and we help them. And thirdly, there's even beyond that, uh, this ministry in the church where you can call after those other resources have run out. You can call on either ask for meals or just as importantly, you can offer to bring meals. And, and every time somebody has a need, you get this great email. If you want more information about the, I think it's called Nourishing Body and Soul Food Ministry, uh, check in at the church office. Because look, sometimes you, you just need a good meal. And that's what Paul is saying here. These guys just, they were all encouraged to eat. It was about dawn. He encouraged everyone to eat. Note that they had lost their appetite up in verse 21 and they had not been eating. He urged Julius to eat. He urged the sailors to eat. Can I, can I just stop there and remind you? The sailors who eight hours earlier were abandoning ship without him to leave him to die. Hey guys, you need, to, you need some strength because God's about to rescue us. You may have some people in your life that are really, some people on your boat in your storm that are really hard to love. They're not doing what you thought they should do. Paul encourages them to eat. When he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God and in the presence of all, 
he broke it and began to eat. And if all those other verses were kind of funny, even though they told the story, this is a profound verse for me. Paul, your whole life is now not what you thought it was going to be. You go into cities, you plant churches, you make disciples, end it. You tried to bring money to Jerusalem to help the church. No good deed goes unpunished. They hated you and arrested you. They held you against uh, your will in Caesarea for two years. You got a bum of a, of a, a jury trial or a bum of a trial, and now you're a prisoner on a boat. You're literally in chains on a boat for two weeks at sea. Everything you dreamed about your life, and by the way, next week when we pick this up, because if this is chapter 3, chapter 4 in, chapter, in Acts 27 is next week, next week gets worse, far worse. It's not getting any better. And so let's just stop there. What do you say to the people in your suffering storm with you while the storm's not over and you have opportunity to address everyone? Note the things that he's already said. First thing, not sure about the weather. Everyone heard him say that. This weather kind of stinks. Are we sure we want to do this? God's giving him a little bit of favor and and legitimacy with them. Second thing he said is last week, and you can review it later, verses 22 through 24, 25. Guys, I had a vision from God. We're all going to be okay. I believe it's going to be exactly how the God that I belong to, the living God, is going to be exactly how he said it's going to be. He said that. And now today he says this. Man, what would I say? You people are the worst. That's probably what I would have said. I can't believe you. I I might say things like, uh, Rome... The politics of Rome stink, and I should not be here. I've been mistreated. Here's what he says. In front of everyone, his third speech in front of everyone as he breaks the bread. Thank you, God, for this bread. Is that you? All your dreams are over. Your future is uncertain. The traitors standing in front of you. Thank you, God. If you say that, because you know that, storm's worth it. Bring it. Bring the storm. Just come with me in the storm, Lord. Help me in the storm. 276. It seems like every time they feed someone in the New Testament, they tell you how many people they fed. They fed 5,000, they fed 4,000, and now they fed the people on the boat. And the point is, everybody heard what Paul is saying, and there were 276 persons on the ship. That's a lot of people. 276 people impacted by Paul's faithfulness in the storm. January 15th, 2009. Started just like 10,000 other days, says Chesley Sullenberger, captain of U.S. Airways Flight 1549. Paul would agree. Oh, remember this? Started with calm south winds. Maybe that's how your week last week started. 
but it ended up like this picture. The first hundred seconds of the flight were completely routine, but it suddenly became the worst day of my life. A large flock of Canada geese immediately destroyed the jet turbines, and the plane lost all lift as he flew out of New York LaGuardia. First response, fear. Quickened pulse, bit of panic. Captain Sully was responsible for all 155 souls aboard his plane. A veteran pilot of four decades, Captain Sully's first thought was, I have been flying for 40 years. This does not happen to me. Maybe that's what you're thinking in your storm. But it does, doesn't it? Captain Sully considered two runways, which later... Evaluator said if he had tried to reach either one of those runways, all the people on board would have died, either one of them. So before deciding, and then decided that the only place that he could lay his, his, his plane down in the most populated metro region in the United States was the Hudson River. Co-pilot Jeff Skiles and Captain Sully turned the craft upriver, communicated with air traffic control, and the air traffic controllers thought this decision was the end of all 155 people. You know, lay down in the Hudson River? That's it. You can't train for this. You can't practice for this. And that's how the storms of life are. You don't get a practice run. What are you going to do? Before addressing the passengers, Captain Sully stopped and ordered his words and got his breathing under control and for three or four seconds and then confidently said these words, brace yourselves for impact. The flight attendants were coached by his use of the word brace and they started saying to the people on board, brace, 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 heads down, stay down. They said it over and over again for the next 60 seconds. We were fighting to save every life to the very end. Just before impact, Sully turned to his co-pilot, Skiles, and said, you got any ideas? (laughs) He says, I wasn't being flippant. I was saying, I I thought of everything I know to do. And Paul might add, take some food. This is not over, but Skiles responded, actually... No, I got no suggestions. And as the plane belly landed in the Hudson River, the captain and co-captain looked at each other as the plane came to a drifting stop and said in unison, that wasn't as bad as I thought. (laughs) And over the next 45 minutes, New York Waterway evacuated 155 passengers. Every passenger was saved. Captain Sully, of course, last off the ship. Four hours later, he got word that all the passengers were accounted for and safe, and only then, he says, my immediate duties were completed. Listen, God sent some crazy hard circumstances into your life. I am not suggesting that Every person in your storm is going to come to faith. But here's what I'm saying. You have opportunity. God has given you a closed ship. A certain amount of people who are in the storm with you. 
And I am telling you that God is using your storm to set his glory and goodness before them. You have an opportunity to make a difference today. We can put true faith in God on display in inarguable and glorious ways. And only then are your immediate duties completed. So how many people are are in your storm with you? Are you isolating yourself in the storm? Where you can, I really encourage you. Trust a new friend. Thank God for the people he's bringing to you. People you didn't know before the storm. There's going to be a doctor maybe, or there's going to be a financial counselor, or there's going to be an attorney, or there's going to be your kid's teacher. There's going to be somebody in this storm with you that wasn't there when it started. That's what happened with Sully. He didn't know any of these people, but the storm, the situation brought him together. Becoming better friends with somebody like Julius, maybe a believer, maybe not, but having every opportunity to tell him time and time again, I'm not turning to an alternative means for salvation. I'm not looking for some temporary rescue. I'm trusting Jesus here with everything I have, Julius. Stay with me. Some seem to be just trying to preserve their own lives, and they are traitors, and they will leave you if they can. And that's okay. Pray for them. Thank God in front of them. Give them some bread. The full rescue plan is all about Jesus Christ. He is our rescue. And so maybe God brought you to the storm to show the unbelieving world what it looks like when an authentic believer in Jesus Christ holds on to God's promises and word with everything they've got in the midst of the storm. And maybe some of those people in your storm need a specific invitation to come believe God. He's so good. He's more than enough to get you through the storm. And listen, friend, I want to stop end by saying this. If there's no storm, the people in your boat don't see God the same way. Don't hate the storm. Love the one who's sovereign over the storm. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, you are our rescue. We are not merely trying to preserve our life in this world, though we certainly want health and, and we want to avoid trouble if, where we can. Give us wisdom. We pray for the one in the midst of the diagnosis. I, I see people in this room today who this week lost dear people in their lives. And I pray in the midst of this storm that there's somebody like Luke ministering to Paul. Help us. We know you are sovereign over storms, and so we trust you. And we know that trusting you in the storm is better than fair fair waters. So we hold to you together today. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.